The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen speaking peoples, the Songhees, and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. Speaking of the mysteries of life, it's been a little wild around here. So next April, 2024, I'll have been podcasting for 10 years. Back in the day, you'd publish on iTunes and they had this like top 10 downloads list. And it was a huge deal for me the day that my show was in like the top three shows that day. It was sandwiched between uh, Oprah's new at the time podcast, which was number one, and then the Numinous podcast, mine. And then it was like Eckhart Tolle had like a new earth podcast or something. And after that was like Marianne Williamson and I think there was one with like Pastor Rob Bell and Elizabeth Gilbert or something like that. That was a huge deal 10 years ago. Then eight years ago, I went to see my next guest when she brought her live stage show. She was on like a speaking tour. Um, I think she had a new book and a new deck out. She brought her live stage to- show to town. It was this like big sold out affair at the convention center. She did live mediumship readings for the audience. And she also pulled Oracle cards for us. And in the transitions, she would like sing and banter with the audience. She has like a real homey showmanship. She's kind of got a bit of that like Dolly Parton style of humble sparkle. You know what I mean? Like I'm just a down to earth girl, make my way in the world, with a big heart and a big smile. But like, meanwhile, the place is sold out. It's packed you know, and she's on tour, like you've got to have quite a large fan base and quite a thriving business to pull that off. So of course, by 2015, she'd already been doing this for a couple of decades. So I can tell you that in truth, I know my little show is hitting the big time when my next guest team is reaching out asking me if I would interview the illustrious Colette Baron-Reed on the Numinous podcast. What an honor. What a full circle moment. What a wild ride. Colette Baron-Reed is widely known and well-respected as an author and a thought leader in the personal transformation space. She has published seven books and 17 best-selling Oracle decks with millions of copies sold worldwide in 27 languages. I know some of you OG, some of you like first season Numinous podcast listeners, you may remember that the artist of many of Colette's decks, Jenna Della Grotelia, she was one of my first guests on the show, episode 16. And I know many of my students over the years have loved the combination of Jenna's art with Colette's art direction and words. The deck I would personally consider Colette's most iconic deck, sort of the most classic, is The Enchanted Map. It was first published in 2011. It's been my everyday pull since then. Like, I think I got it in 2011 or 2012. It's also the deck that I've used to teach intuition and oracle reading, starting with workshops back in 2013. So that's just one of the ways that Colette's work has directly informed and deeply touched my life. So you can only imagine how elated I am that I got to spend some time one-on-one and reconnect with Colette for this episode. Yes, I say reconnect because actually it wasn't the first time we've met. So Colette, let's set the stage here. I know most of my listeners probably know who you are, but just in case they don't, what identities do you lead with? Oh, you mean like he, she, she, her, that kind of stuff? No. Yeah, I mean, that and everything yeah, else. Yeah, yes, I never that and everything else. <laughs> I consider myself a she, but you know, what identities that no one's ever asked me that do I lead with? So I kind of never think about that unless somebody, I mean, what I do, um, I'm an intuitive. I've made a living for the past 35 and a half years doing this work 
full-time. So I'm a 35-year overnight success. Um, most people know me for my Oracle cards. They're sold all over the world in 29 countries. I've There's over 2 million out there now. Um, and, uh, but I, I, I'm an artist. So that's, that's really what I'm kind of, so I have many identities, if you will, but mostly I'm just, I'm just me and see what happens next. <laughs> well, that is how and I love dogs. <laughs> yes. I can hear them. And I see them sometimes on Instagram. They're yeah. welcome. I have been using your enchanted map deck to uh, teach about intuition development that was the deck that I really felt uh, helped people develop their own intuition. And one of the first guests on the podcast was Jenna Della Grotelia because- Oh my God, I, Jenna. Yeah, yeah, sure, she's collaborator. Doing she's doing her own decks. I hired her um, uh, as an artist. So I met her, she was, I think, a makeup artist and um, doing some things on deviant art. And so I, I hired her. So, and then I kept hiring her for my decks you know, that was really cool because Hay House was like, no, we want you to do different art. I said, no, there's something about this girl. So she's had her, you know, her art all over the world now. And now, and we're very close friends. We became friends and I decided to go into a different direction and I'm doing my own art next year. But, it, you know, it was time for her to spread her wings too. So she's <laughs> now off doing her own stuff, which is great. I just talked to her yesterday. I think it was a karma I drove her nuts as art directing her though, like this, not that, no, take that out, put this in, boom, boom, boom. But uh, we really, we had a incredible dance together. Um, yeah, we really did. So I'm super proud of her. Mm, it's a very fruitful collaboration. There's, it's put out a lot of really good work. And when I first met you, it was 2015, you'd come to Victoria and you do live shows where you do all kinds of things. Um, and you do spot readings for people. And mm -hmm. at the end, people get book signed. So I brought my deck. And when I got up to you, I said, would you draw a card? And even before you drew the card, you looked at me and you said, you do what I do. And I sort of was bashful. I was like, oh my gosh. But I will say, I felt very seen. I'd never felt very seen for my intuitive uh, presence or, or gifts. Yeah, I feel like I, I, feel, I feel teary <laughs> thinking about it. I felt very seen. And you said, you are going to be so successful. It's really stuck with me. So thank Aww. you for seeing me. Oh my God, you're going to make me sob. <laughs> but well, at the time I thought it's going to happen soon, right? Because like, I'd been doing it for six years by then. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the sign that I should like really pursue this. I should like really be more public. And I have been, but I will say, Colette, it's, it's been like eight years now. And the success is kind of, it feels like it's only just coming, even yeah. though I've been doing this since 2009. Um, so it was like a longer time horizon than I expected. I think this is what people get really screwed up about is the idea that they're going to become famous or something. You know, success has caught a lot of different, you want to be successful for the long haul. You know, I was doing, I've done readings full time since two, 1989, 1989, wow. I think, mm -hmm. no, 1988, wow. 1988. Wow. Uh, so think about that. How many years is that? Right. That's a long time. Yeah. And I, I, I consider success being able to do what you love and put food on the table and be really proud of what you do and know that you're helping people and know that you have a lifestyle that you enjoy. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so really successful. You'll have a very successful podcast. It's like, what is success? Is it me? And I, again, I'm not suggesting you want to be famous, but I think sometimes in this profession, people come at it like, you know, why am I not more successful and famous? The word is the kind of undercurrent is like, why am I not famous? And mm -hmm. and that's not something to chase ever. Like it's never something I ever wanted. I, I wanted to be a singer songwriter anyway. So I didn't really put much effort into promoting this work for myself at all. So it was a kind of interesting man plans and God laughs. I put all the effort into that and that didn't, I mean, it happened, but it wasn't really the right path. You know, service has to come first and patience is so important. I mean, I think we've gotten really confused with this whole manifesting movement that we are in control of timing by our desire, 
and we look at other people why are they well why are they more ahead than i am because the comparison trap is so horrifying considering in you know and social media has really fostered that right and we can get really messed up by that like oh she said i was going to be really successful but she didn't tell me when it was right and and you just i just feel it about certain people i see them and i definitely don't say that to everybody in a lineup but um and i do think that that's you have we have to understand that long-term success is something that evolves. That's how you become an expert is, mm -hmm. is by putting the time in. You know, mm -hmm. people want to call themselves experts when they haven't put the 10,000 hours in that you have, right? I mean, you do this, like you're for real. So how that expert, how that expertise is presented to the public, how people vibe with you or not is, not a, is out of our control. Mm -hmm. It's completely mm -hmm. out of our control. Mm -hmm. you know? So you are okay. one of these rare people who has had a very long and successful career doing your intuitive arts in right. public for a long time. Not many yeah. people can can say that. So you've also seen the business in it all, pub honey. Yeah, publishing <laughs> and promotion, the advent of social media on the spiritual genre, particularly with publishing. Yeah. How has that changed? Uh, oh over God, your God. career. Oh gosh. Cause it has changed just in general, right? You know, like everybody does a deck now. Like it's just that <laughs> the market is saturated. It's like, it's a red ocean now. Right. I do what I love. Right. And I take a lot of risks and, uh, my husband has run my business, uh, up until now, uh, for the past 10 years. And like we, we invest in our work, we invest in the work. And I don't do just one thing. So, you know, I was doing business consulting for a while and found myself really enjoying that. And so um, I, I kind of take the pulse of the fan base I have or whatever. And I realized, you know what, I'm going to offer the spirit of your business course now, which is in next week in, in October. Um, so I have that and I have Oracle Palooza, which is a big interactive event. And then I have Oracle School and my membership site and I teach other courses and I show up at events. I work my ass off, okay, so, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm just starting. So for me, in terms of like the, the change in my career happened for me when I started painting, mm -hmm. which is not about the career. It's when I stopped staring at the career. Like I... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worker person. I like to work. I enjoy it. I'm I'm a 10th house chart, you know? So it's like, it's all about business. I really enjoy business and I really love people. I, and I really feel like I got a second chance at life. You know, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I'm really lucky to be alive. So I really feel I got the second chance and, you know, and yet the industry changes and you have to change with it but you can't just define yourself by your work. And so when I started painting, I, I'm an empath. So I was having a really rough time, um, kind of, I was doing all, so much work that was unearthing a lot of stuff, working with anti-racism, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-racism. You know, I'm looking at some of my old wounds too, like, where am I still behaving in certain ways? I went into EMDR, I went back into therapy. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm like, I need to be the person I can be proud of and educate myself on things I don't know. So of course that can, that can stir up a lot of stuff. And I used to paint professionally, um, 30, 36, 35, 36 years ago, um, just for an interim year when I, I was pursuing a career as a musician, I just painted on people's clothes for about a year and I made a good living uh, like back in the 80s, right? And I hadn't picked up a paintbrush since then. So I needed, I needed a meditation outlet. So doing something that was not directly related to my career, even though it actually became a new deck that's coming out next year, which was never my plan, but... <laughs> It enabled me to remember that I'm not here to hustle. I'm not here to hustle my worth. I'm not here to compete with other people. I'm doing my own thing. I've got my blinders on. I love what I do. I get to do it. It's really great. I don't need to be number one at anything. I was a lot more ambitious when I was younger, um, but now it's like, okay, who am I supposed to serve and go do that? I spend less time looking at what what's new, what's trending. I hate that. I don't care about that. You know, at first the whole trauma conversation became very like, okay, well, why is everybody using that word? Because no one really defined it accurately or, and it's been very misused 
then I started to take a look at to the collective trauma and I started studying with Thomas Hubel and Gabor Mate. So I'm, my work is more informed now by mm. what I am doing myself and, and, and what I am studying myself to recognize, given that I have groups and communities and people, how I meant to show up better as an informed leader. Because our world used to be fringe. Like when I started, what I did was I, I had a chip on my shoulder. I didn't want to tell people what I did because it was like, oh, that, you know, it, now it's oh, like, totally. oh, that's so cool. It's cool now. When I started, it was not cool. No, there was a lot of social scorn. Yeah. Even in 2009, there's a tr tremendous amount of social scorn associated with intuition. And it took quite a bit to um, be able to lead with this identity, right? I'm an intuitive, yeah. I do this. And now it's kind of like, oh yeah, you and everybody else. Kind of thing. You know, so, it's so funny when you said, how do you, what identity do you lead with? And I'm like, I don't even think about that. Like what identity do I lead with? Like, cause now I've never, like when, if somebody doesn't know what I do, this is the other thing. Yeah. I don't tell them. It's just not important to me. It's like, right. it just isn't. So I'm like, I just, it really, I'm going to actually have some fun after we hang up today thinking about my identity because I'm like, wow, what does that even mean? What I lead with, I know I lead with energy that I believe is anyway, you, I'm, I'm going off topic, but I just think it's, it's such an interesting thing for everybody to do that is listening to the show. <laughs> I also think about, you know, when I first started following you, you were a woman in a different stage of life. I've spoken, we've talked on the podcast so much about the perimenopausal and the menopausal transition, but I haven't talked to very many who are professional intuitives. Anybody who has gone from menstruating to the process of not menstruating anymore, no matter how you identify I know that their intuition and their relationship to spirit can really be radically altered as well. I'm curious what you've noticed as you've grown older, as you've gone through transitions in different stages of your life as a woman, yes. how did that impact your intuition and your spiritual I, practice? So I am 65. So, and uh, I turned 65 this year. I feel 40. I, 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 I've never had any work done and I feel like I look great More empowered in my, and then ever, I feel like I have more energy now than I've ever had. I have a great marriage and I don't give a shit about what people think of me anymore. That's been interesting. I needed people to, I also have codependent rising. Okay. My, I have Libra rising. <laughs> like my, my astrology chart is like, Oh my God. It's like, please like me or may, or I like, how can I help you? But I, I had to kind of get out, get over that kind of need for me to be popular. I think that was when I was much younger, when I first got to Hay House. And I had a lot of problems with that because my mother taught me I wasn't safe if people saw who I really was. That came, I inherited that from my ancestry, you know, that it wasn't safe to be fully yourself and especially not in public. If anybody ever said, I would take it really personally. And I really just want to be super creative and I have a life experience that can really benefit other people. I've made a lot of mistakes and I think it's through our mistake making that, uh, I feel that I have my, my most credibility, to be honest. Uh, it's how did I handle the difficulties, you know, and how, do, what, how did they change me? You know, I don't shy away from the shadow at all. I can't stand it when people just go love and light. I'm like, oh, gag me. The shadow is the most important thing to address. And especially when you hit menopause, perimenopause, you're starting to realize, oh my God, my clock is ticking, you know, am I partnered or whatever? Or of course, if that's not the way in which you engage in relationship. But for me, yes, for me, I, my identity was, uh, was very wrapped up in my sexuality and my, uh, when I was younger, before even before I met my husband, and my value and worth as a woman was is what how did what did I look like? And I was taught like my re the record business is horrifying. I had to be skinny, and I never really was. And you had to be younger, and I wasn't. And like all of these things is it was just all these mixed messages about my value and also what I could produce, because you know my parents were real hardworking European immigrants, right? And you had to work hard and you know, have a, and be very smart in academia. It was like a lots of stuff. So at, after perimenopause, which really are the best years for a woman, I think. I think when you hit your 40s, you're the juiciest, certainly at a sexual level, you're at your peak. You know, men peak out at 18, 19, or at least that's what they say, or, or, or I, I may not even be able to say that. I don't know anymore, but I, that's in my generation, that's what we know. 
Um, and and uh, but I know for most of us who identify as women are that is that's just nature, right? And <laughs> and that's our kind of last chance for romance and make a baby. Uh, I, right. That's kind of the way the body works. And then after that, it's more about, well, what, 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 what worth do I have? Like, since that's not the big issue anymore, I, I married a phenomenal man who just, I can become a little old shriveled prune and he's still going to think I'm gorgeous. Um, it's not about that, but it was really about how, how could I unravel all of those stories that, that, you know, cause I had body dysmorphia, I had eating disorder like for the longest time, um, I'm still very aware of it. I haven't binged it since I was in my mid thirties, but like 30 years, but still I had bulimia, the whole nine yards. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was like, how could I liberate myself from all these false expectations and also deal with the fact that I never expressed any anger. That was an interesting segue. It was like, okay, who am I? What do I believe? And then the production thing, I got very much into the hustling of things, you know, and I burned out. I had a motorcycle accident in my fifties. I, I learned how to ride a Harley and collected them in my fifties. Like I got on, I did some shit in my fifties. I'm like, I am doing it. I'm going to do all the things that scared me. And, uh, but then I realized, you know, I was just over amped, trying to prove myself and I didn't even know I was doing it. So that's another reason why I think and why you would look at me and go, well, look at how successful she is. Because for the longest time I was a workaholic, right? So that's not something to aspire to. Was spirit <laughs> telling you in other ways before the motorcycle, you need oh, to yeah. slow down. Oh yeah. I didn't know how to ask for help. Um, you know, I, I had a phenomenal, phenomenal coaching academy and it was so good. The students were incredible, but I didn't have a system to support me correctly. Uh, but then the, the bike accident happened and I had to shut the doors, but I mean, I had it, it was, the content was incredible. I just didn't know how to ask for help or how to run a business. It was an interesting thing about what happens to all of us as we reach different parts of our lives, like what's important to us. Mm -hmm. um, now more than ever, I'm about the service, mm -hmm. you know, I'm about the service because I know I have seen it all literally. I mean, I've been there, I've seen it. I know also by seeing other people and by seeing how like the quote unquote overnight successes don't last. Mm, I really appreciate you sharing like pretty vulnerably so far about like, you know, this is, I've been around a long time. I'm still learning things. I had my own shit that I'm working through and dealing mm. with. I'm particularly struck by what you said about mistakes. Is there a mistake that you've made as a spiritual leader that you are still trying to correct or that you regret? I don't regret any of it. Uh, no, no, I have not got one thing that I regret of, of a quote unquote mistake. You know, you, you can't hurt yourself for what you don't know. But once right. you know something, that's a different story. So I don't regret what I didn't know because I was a person who didn't know what I didn't know. Of course, I regret hurting people if I've hurt anybody, you know, like by my own ignorance or whatever. But you asked me a big question of as a spiritual leader, because I really always see myself as myself too, right? right? But there's today, as I sit here looking at you, there is not one thing that I regret. Not one thing. So- Regret. I totally agree with you. I have very few things because I value the going from not knowing to knowing, like I value that so much. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I have remorse about people that I've hurt and that sort of thing, but I don't regret it because like you said, I, I don't blame myself. But what I'm curious really about, as you said, I, you know, the value that I bring now, particularly as a, as a woman of this age, as a person who's been in business, as a person with a long career is that I have made mistakes. So what are some of the mistakes that you're like, please let me tell you, <laughs> I have made this mistake and um, I want to help you <laughs> avoid this yeah, mistake. Mostly I think, um, comparing myself to other people. That's, that's a mistake. I have done that. That is a mistake. I regret you know, that is, um, also on a, on a emotional psychological level, um, I was raised to believe everything is my fault. I don't want anybody hurt ever, but sometimes people project onto you 
And it's not your fault that they do that. So, so, so that wasn't a mistake. I'd say a learning curve for me, not a mistake, but a real learning curve is to do my own work and to recognize what is mine and what is not mine. You know, also I am allergic to drama. So, you know, recognizing that that just doesn't help, that there's a false counterfeit bonding when there's drama, right? So, um, I think in the early days, my mistake was that social media was always supposed to be nice. Do you know what I mean? And recognizing that that it's not personal. So the mistake that I say that I would tell somebody not to make, like to say, hey, don't do this. You know, if there's something really that you can make amends for and you can change, that's one thing. And I'm that is the one thing that I know I've listened and I've made the changes of certain things. You know, I wish sometimes, and I can't even think of a real thing, that I would sometimes stop and ask myself, is this really mine? Because mm-hmm. I think I can, I can make things worse. And, and right. again, talking about, I, I don't separate myself. I don't even see myself as a spiritual leader. Like when you said really? that, like, and I get it. I get it. I have a sense of responsibility because a lot of people, I've yeah. been around a long time. Yeah, you have a very, very, very large global audience. <laughs> so, yeah, so but it's I, kind of I, like default. But I feel... <laughs> Yeah, it is funny that I I know I just don't see myself that way. And I know it, I probably should. What are some of the archetypes, personal archetypes that you might have identified with when you were earlier in your career that that maybe you've outgrown? And what are some of the archetypes you're working with right now? I think the archetype of the victim, uh, like the, the, the wounded healer, not, you know, the wounded healer was was something that uh, was much more uh, something I identified with in the early part of my career. Uh, now it's much more about the crone. It's much more about the hag. It's much more about the wise woman. And I'm having a lot more, I'm more maybe the fool right now because I'm like jumping into things and loving it. And the goddess that I'm working with right now is Hecate. Hecate is the goddess of liminality of, bet- of the between worlds. And she takes that torch and she goes down into the darkness and she brings illumination, but she doesn't come in there with perfection. She doesn't look for perfection. She's not interested in perfection. She is interested in illumination. There's a big difference. And that when you feel lost, that there is a, there is the capacity for illumination and a capacity to move through those darker corridors out to the other side. And I think one of the best parts about that goddess is, is about her strength in the dark. You know, and she's also you know, the goddess of magic too. There's a lot of things that we can attribute to her, but that in the liminality piece of being outside the lines of being in the in-between is something because we are there in society, we're there. But I'm there personally too. And I get my strength from knowing that this is what I'm working with. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I really honestly don't know how the hell I got here. I, I, it, when I think of, you know, how did you start your journey? I said, well, I never, I never in a million years thought I would end up here. I never ever had any aspiration to be here. I didn't. Yeah. You really did want to be a singer. And I totally did. Yeah. And I loved, I love doing oracles and I love, you know, mediumship and readings and stuff. I, but I've never cared about being famous or, or like when you say you have a global audience, you're a leader. I'm like, I don't care about that. I care about holding space for other people so that they can find themselves. That's way more interesting Mm -hmm. to me. You know, maybe when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, because I was on tour with Sylvia Brown at the very beginning. I'd be like, she was so famous. And I was stuck in front of like 7,000 people, you know, and it was like, I was like the deer caught in the headlights. And so I used to wonder, you know, who was, who was I compared to who, where she was. Right. And, mm. and see that gap. And I did feel that way. So I think the comparison thing, you know, why am I not there and who am I and why are they and what's going on and how do I make this How work? did they do it? Yeah. How did they do it? And then I realized, who cares? Just do what you do. And that mm-hmm. was, and you know, the president of Hay House told me that. So in the beginning, I was quite insecure. I think I would say that. So I don't know what archetype that is. <laughs> <laughs> the archetype of, of, of like, I don't know if I can do this. Oh my God. And then it came now to like, I just, I just wear it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. the, I'm the, I'm the Merlin, I'm the high priestess, I'm the, I, you know, the goddess Hecate, who has been, uh, you know, she is who I work through right now. 
Mm -hmm. And she's been through some shit, right? So absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit more about like what what is your spiritual practice? Do you draw your own oracle cards? Do you sit in, do you do trance work? So my spiritual practice, I am very much all about staying connected to a higher power. And uh, I have relationship to spirit animals and my dad, who is Serbian and my great grandmother is Mongolian. So we have a great lineage of, you know, Slavic folklore, as well as the Mongolian history with um, spirit animals. That's my dad taught me about them when I was a kid. So I, I, that's where I learned about that. So, you know, I have a deep relationship with certain of the animals, like dragonflies were a big one for me, ladybugs. Um, we have a lot of wildlife where I live. So I'm very aware of that. And I am an animist. So the other thing is part of my spiritual practice. Like I don't have any specific gala goddess altar or whatever. I mean, I have an altar, but you know, it's there more in, you know, just as a, like a humble thank you kind of thing. Mm. But, um, you know, I, uh, I believe that everything is alive. Everything is alive, you know, and even when you create something, my decks, I feel have a spirit. I, my practice is I come from a 12 step program 30, almost 38 years ago. So I work a 12 step program and I pray and I meditate and I do a personal inventory and, and, uh, I recognize, you know, so for me, I, I journal, I definitely pull a card every single day. Um, but I do a lot of surrender work and a lot of shadow work. So I have a therapist, I have a coach, I'm because I need to keep my channel clear. Oh, I know. Here's something. Because um, you asked me something before, and I, and I wouldn't call this a mistake, but I do want to go back to this. It's about, I wish I had listened more because when people talk to you and they see you as somebody that they follow or somebody that they trust or whatever, and if you don't listen to them and you're like, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? That can be really hurtful. Um, so mm. I think that that's, yeah, I think that that I can think of a couple of instances that I might have done that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, for me, if I were to see myself as a greater archetype, if you will, mm-hmm. if you're a leader, my mm-hmm. job is to make sure my house is clean and I can sleep at night. You and know? so like listening to people in terms of yeah. what they're going through or their feedback for you, like what, both. Listen, yeah. both. Mm-hmm. what they're going through, what their feedback. And what I got good at was not being reactive, you know, like Mm -hmm. sometimes people just need to spew and they need it. Sometimes they do it publicly and, and I've learned to be quiet and to allow and to not, you know, there's times my opinion is not needed. I need to do the work. Mm -hmm. I have to do the work. I cannot put my head in the sand. You know, that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. Do I, do I feel the need to, revisit certain things from the past today no I've actually sat with myself and been a therapist like do I do this do, is this true and then they I'll be like well maybe it's your stuff and I'm like okay it's my stuff so it's about me not about the other person um I just want to be a better person every day like the best I could be if I could be a teeny bit better today than yeah. I was yesterday. That's what I'm one percent better every day. You know what I'm saying? Better every day. You totally get it. It's something I've just been sitting with in the past few weeks and going, "What is mine to own?" Mm. And realizing that I'm in this process of letting go some of my old stories of they did this to me. Like that was the other thing, right? Like they did it to me. <laughs> like look what they did, and like right. how did they do this to me? And I'm like, oh my god, call it. This person was in pain. Let them be in pain. Right. Like not, nobody yeah. did anything to you. Right. right. Like that. Sure. No, this is, this yeah. is the benefit of the, the crone archetype, right? Of just like what everybody can, hurts. That's the thing that I, I, I feel now, now that I've kind of sat with what you asked, because it's like, I have to ponder, but you're right. It's like, I, I'm not, I'm more sensitive now to other people than I was before, but because I'm less defensive now. What I'm hearing you say is like in the past, you were a channel for spirit. You were working for spirit. And so that was kind of like your prime directive. And now (laughs) over time, you're like, oh, I'm with these people. And actually I'm collaborating with spirit, but I really need to be present. I really need to listen and bring that compassion and um, I, I am somebody that they are looking to as a person in power and authority. Am I getting this? Am I, am I yes, talking that? Yes. But I think before I didn't believe uh, so, so yes and no. Like I was, cha- I've always been channeling spirit. Now I channel more than before. Like now I'm much more clear. Like I'm that I'm, I'm here in service. I get it. Spirit use me off. I go, I'm out there. 
use me as thou wilt. Thy will not mine be done because mine kind of screws things up. Thank you. So let me just let me just do what you want and I'm good. Um, and uh, so, but I think in the past when I was younger, I still was trying to prove something, right? That was me, my ego, right? That was my ego and afraid that somebody would take something away from me or some of those kind of things. And I would say those would have been more the, the uh, character flaws, if you will, that might've been operating, you know, and, and just in, in the way, and also, you know, trying to control how things yeah. are supposed to go because you're insecure. And I, I, people didn't, would probably never believe I've been insecure, but. Yeah, know, no, I, I can I, relate to that. Just right? trying to control things and right? trying to be good, trying to be excellent. Trying to be good. Now, yeah. I don't want to be good now. I want to be informed. And I, and I want to do what I know is right. I've also learned that there has to be room for redemption for people. We have to remember that even though like people make mistakes, you have to let them learn from their mistake and do better. We're all in pain right now. Some people yeah. are more in pain than others. Yeah. So how do we get connected and how do we stay connected? So mm -hmm. I've learned, you know what? I came from this way once, but I changed. So it's mm -hmm. like, we have to allow for the change, the evolution, the redemption for everybody. Yeah. What's the new beginning for you as you step into your crone eldership kind of? Like what's new for you? Um, I want, I'm going to do more painting. I'm going to do more of that. I feel just like really excited about the adventure. Um, but I do have projects. Like I'm working with this incredible woman named Dr. Deborah Egerton, um, she it wrote a book on idea, inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. And uh, it's called um, No Justice, No Peace, K-N-O-W, Justice, No Peace, K-N-O-W. But she's an Enneagram specialist and she and I have become such good friends. And so we are doing an Enneagram Oracle together. So I'm basically, you know, it's something I've wanted to do for eight years, but she's the real expert. So I'm, uh, we're, I'm the Oracle expert. She's the Enneagram expert. So we're, we've, we've joint forces and she's going to be very, very influential at Hay House next year and next couple of years. She's an incredible person. Oh, I'm doing that does sound exciting. This is, this is a major evolution in the spiritual publishing genre, you know, which has traditionally been younger white ladies and older white men. And, right. and That's so, different. oh yeah. no, I wouldn't stay at Hay House. Um, Hay House has a great commitment to diversity and inclusion and equity. They have invested, like it's a big giant ship. So it, it's, it takes a while to turn a big ship around, um, but uh, they have an extraordinary roster of diverse talent now. It's not the same. They're very, very, very committed to that. And I probably, you know, I wouldn't be there if they weren't because I had to actually ask myself if that was important to me mm -hmm. um, after, you know, yeah, I think I probably would have done something different with the goddess deck. That that would be a good one to say, because I had accepted that from Hay House to do, and we were not that successful in how we presented that. That was at the very beginning of all the conversations about, um, you know, how a white uh, spiritual teacher um, uh, uh, engages with multicultural um, deities. Mm -hmm. I really listened on that one so I probably wouldn't have done that deck um but I'm actually proud of the deck so I am proud of because it was the reason why I got so deep into the the work into you know understanding my part in all of that and understanding what I didn't know and understanding mm -hmm. also what was not my part and, and what it was that I had to change but that took me mm -hmm. on a trajectory oh my god like in this incredible re-identification with what was important to me. Right. And, and it's like, this is so happened. important because this is how the large ships, and we can say that about all of the institutions. And the, the thing about systemic oppression is that it's a, it's a system in that you don't have to have any racists in it for it no. to oppress yeah, to people. Right. Oppress and people. so, yeah. and so you working within it, yeah, <laughs> you working within it, to yeah. say, you know what, if I look back, I wouldn't have done that deck and I would, I would have turned to somewhere else. And so now looking forward, it, it's really important to you to like, oh, yeah. go. I should, yeah. am I the person who should do this? This is a huge cultural shift in the industry. Yeah. I even, you know, I was 
uh, I asked Hay House to, with, with what they would allow because it was only so much because it was a lot of the money, right? To to change some of my cards, um, to realize like, oh, there's not enough diversity in here. Well, of course, I was seeing through a white lens. Um, so to bring that in legitimately to make it work, et cetera. And, you know, so it became important and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to, I am going to actually put my money where my mouth is. Um, and I still stumbled. Like I, I ended up, I wanted to actually redo the goddess deck and then got into even more of a, a log jam of realizing that I'm not going to, no matter what I do, I'm not going to get this right in terms of the external. Um, and it was a good exercise for me to see what was mine and what was not mine and where, where I had to bow out. Like yeah, I exactly. Where you should cede some space yeah. and just be like, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah this isn't yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my, it, my wheelhouse. I don't regret the experience at all, but if I were to choose to do something different, I probably would not have, you know, today, if you say, do you want to do something like that? I go, no. No, I don't want to no. tell those other people's stories, but it is so important for you to know that, to do the yeah, academic I know research, to have that yeah. awareness. And now you can track that and be like, am I the person to tell that story? Or am I the person, you know, or is there a way I could collaborate? I mean, exactly. I, this is great. I'm very excited about um, the, the Enneagram deck because also I've, you know, had um, people tell me about my Enneagram I don't know what it's even called, like profile, my, what my are type. You? I don't know. I don't remember. I can never remember is, the numbers. I have this the wings. Is not about, <laughs> this is not about types. This is about okay. the energies. So the oracles energy. to work best, they are situational, right? So so if you were to talk about the Enneagram, there are nine Enneagram types. Um, and each one of them, I mean, if you look at Enneagram studying, a lot of it's very pathological, right? So you're looking at the pathology, what's wrong, like the wounds, et cetera, which is fantastic, right? But um, we are looking at energies so that recognizing that every single one of us can learn from another, you know, energy type. So the Oracle is, is created so that there are seven situations that are really attributed to each of the energies. Like, they you know, like, for example, I'm a seven. So we can get super overwhelmed. We, and that's so true. I can be completely like, or we're like super enthusiastic. It's like we are the enthusiast, right? So you might be an investigator of the five. I don't know, like um, something. Uh, but uh, so we, but it's, if it's only about the type, the Oracle won't really work because it's, you're not seeing others in that. Mm -hmm. So this is about that we are one unified whole and that we can learn and see ourselves reflected in energies that we typically say is not, that's not my type. That's not my energy. That's not, but yes, it is like, I would never be a perfectionist. That's a one, right? Mm -hmm. But when the card perfection comes up, we look at it. Oh, I'm being called to see the perfection in all things. And then in the, in the protection or the alignment message, be like, are you struggling with perfectionism? Well, any one of us can learn that, but that's particularly for a one. So I can understand a one better. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's what they go through. So this is really an invitation for people to, to dance with the Enneagram. In your experience, how many decks have you created now? I think I have 17 now. 17 there's bunch, decks. There's a bunch that, that aren't published yet. Yeah. Right. In 2 million decks out in the world. What do the creators who are wanting to create Oracle decks, what do they have to know and do to create an effective deck? Ah, yes. Oh, nobody asked me that. <laughs> oh my God. Your listeners are going to laugh their heads off while I'm going, oh my God, you asked me another good question. <laughs> okay. Thank you for asking me that. Don't overthink it and uh, don't overthink it and decide in advance. What kind of deck is this? Like people just tend to create or sometimes people copy, you know, copy thing. Don't copy anybody. That's the other thing. Do not copy anybody because even though that Oracle deck worked for that person um, or, you know, that that's, but they channeled it to them. Don't because the, it will fail. It, it won't work as well. So if you want to do a true divination system, it needs to have a system called a lexicon and that needs to come in there. If it's an Oracle card deck where you just pick one card, you're, it can be arbitrary. It's totally fine. You kind of need to know in advance, but the best thing to do to have a really good deck is to ask the deck what it is. Like, what, who are you? Like, that's, that's what I do with every deck. Like the goddess deck was the only one that I asked, it was asked to do 
that I wasn't interested in doing. And I was like, okay, well, why am I called to this and blah, blah, blah. And, and of course I was called to it for a very good reason, which I was so happy about later, not happy at the time at all, I will say, <laughs> you know, but now as I look back going, that was, so maybe I, yeah, that was a very good lesson. Um, but now it's like, do your deck, ask who, ask who, who is it and fall in love with it. And it doesn't matter how many people get it or whatever. I mean, it just do it because you love it. And when you look at it, you're proud of it and it speaks to you and just let, put your blinders on and do it and test it. I test all my decks. I test my deck. So the last question on the podcast is always the same. How do you keep cope with uh, grief and rage? What do you turn to in that time? And I'm kind of circling back to the beginning. You just kind of slipped in there that you were raised to not express your yes. anger. So how's it different now? How do you cope with grief and rage? Love this question. So um, I had an amazing coach uh, who's now very close to me and I love her to be. Her name is Ruth King. Uh, she wrote a book called Mindful of Race, and she also wrote a book called Healing Rage. And um, I, uh, I really, really heard her when she said, "You're not going to get this perfect." And I was afraid that if I were, because this, I'm talking about rage from when I was a kid. I'm talking about having been not my family. My family was great, you know, molested by the neighbor, like, things like that. Like I've stuffed it in you know, to be able to express that. So exercise, you know, and, and admitting it in the moment without expressing it to outwardly to somebody, because sometimes that explosion isn't helpful to anybody. Right. So it's like really owning it for me, grief. Well, grief still, still sits beside me. Grief is a longtime companion and same with rage. I'm not afraid of rage anymore, mm -hmm. you know, but I also know that there is a healthy way to express rage um, or, or anger because rage can sometimes be, uh, distorted anger, right? So when I say rage, it's really more anger for me. It's not rage is something that, you know, comes out of something really horrible. And then you have to work with that energy. So I, I use it as energy. Um, and I don't deny it, but I've been taught to deny it. Hmm. I've been taught to pull up your bootstraps. My mom was, uh, you know, raised in Germany during the second world war, um, her father was a French Jew who got killed in a Nazi concentration camp. Um, she was raised in a Christian family hidden from the Nazis. So it's like you come with a whole lot of baggage there. That's a lot of intergenerational trauma, not far from you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just really, and it's also really important to, to respect someone else's grief and rage. I don't go in there to try to fix it or it's not, a, it's not, it's like really respecting where other people are at without needing to even participate in it personally. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's something to that where, because I do it. think too, I'm aware that I was born with automatic advantage, very aware of that, you know, and then having that oftentimes you center yourself. You're just taught you can center yourself all the time. That's because we're blind to that. I'm not blind to that anymore. So I'm also recognizing that. Yeah. Just shut up. <laughs> and and one thing I am responsible for is is you know which has changed over the years is to make sure that you know my spaces like our community we are a trauma informed space like we know what you know we don't do trauma vomit in there you know we don't and it sometimes when people come in the posting guidelines that we have seem a little strict but it's for the benefit and well being of everybody in there. Whereas before it was like a free for all. And, you know, it's like now it's, I'm very, that I know. And I take, you know, that this environment needs to be as safe as it can, needs to be as for everybody, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we, we've done a good job in the beginning, mm -hmm. maybe not, not so much. I wonder <laughs> that, that I wish had been different. Right. That, yeah. yeah that I didn't know what I knew, what I know now. Totally. Well, thank you for sharing so much of what you know now. I'm excited for this next phase in your career and the collaborations that are on the horizon. New music, the music. New music too. New music. I have some new stuff on Spotify. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Colette. This has been a, a real thrill for me. It's it's been an honor. Thank you for coming on the show. Aw, thank you for saying that. <laughs>
They say never to meet your idols because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. But that was not at all the case for me in this situation. I was surprised and delighted. And uh, what a thrill. Another reason we love getting older, right? Because you get to live long enough to see some things changing in the culture for the better sometimes. I love that. I I hope and pray I have as long a career as Colette and what an honor to count her as a new friend and mentor, but more importantly, as an ally in solidarity as we seek to do better at interrupting white supremacy culture as white people in spiritual spaces. And uh, as I said, well, she gave some excellent resources in this podcast. They're going to be linked in the show notes. And you can hear more from Colette on her show, Inside the Universe, which I will also link to in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com. And of course, you can also find the notes in your podcast player app. Um, Inside the Universe. Uh, by the way, has a dazzling number of five-star reviews. So I think you should probably check it out. Um, hundreds, hundreds of great reviews. If if you've taken a moment to rate the Numinous podcast, I really want to thank you. Even if it's just five stars and a few words, like this adorable little review from Potato Bug, who wrote, thoughtful interviews and great guests. Thank you. No, thank you, Potato Bug. I love reading that. I super appreciate it. Uh, And also in the show notes, you will find a link to review the uh, Numinous podcast. Finally, join us once again on Saturday, October 28th, 2023 for our annual Witches New Year event online. We're looking at the astrology of the year for 2024, plus the tarot card of the year, ancestral veneration, and more. Tickets are just $50 Canadian for all seven sessions with a sliding scale price, of course, as always. Uh, Plus, you get an instant download of an expanded chapter from my book, The Spirited Kitchen, Recipes and Rituals for the Wheel of the Year. It has over 300 entries for the magical correspondences of ingredients for your kitchen witchery, plus entries for deities and animals you might invoke in your spellcraft. That bonus is available instantly with your ticket purchase. Get your tickets now at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care. Take care.